to a little bit more enthusiastic worship style over the last few weeks. Um, some dancing going on, and uh, this is definitely the most subdued I've been in the last two weeks in terms of worship. Um, in fact, there may be some incriminating videos out there somewhere of uh, my worship over the last few weeks, so um, that's one thing. I'm also uh, a little bit nervous about preaching without a translator, because I've really become accustomed to having that extra time to think about what I'm going to say next as they translate the, the next part. Um, and then uh, I'm also a little bit nervous because I've, been, I've known that I was going to preach today for weeks and weeks and weeks, and when you're in Africa, it doesn't work that way. Um, oftentimes you just, you just sort of say, okay, it's you, you're up, you preach. In fact, uh, one of the times when I preached in, in Africa, um, the music was just finishing, and the, the, the bishop, the pastor walked by and he said, you will preach. <laughs> and, and I said, today? <laughs> yes, right now. Um, and so, so there we were, and uh, I didn't even have a Bible near me. Because um, I, I was using my phone for scripture and stuff. So I walked up and preached, uh, and it probably could have been one of the more fruitful sermons I've ever preached in my life. So um, that was exciting. So I didn't even prepare for today at all ahead of time. I'm just jumping right in. In fact, I'm still writing the sermon right now, so I'm just delaying. Um, but I did, I did actually have to preach six times in five days, which was an experience. Um, it was great. Really had a great time. So what was I doing? So first of all, I've been gone for... Uh, um, Almost three weeks, and so a lot went on. I was in Berlin, Germany, for the first portion of that. And that one, um, the stories are a little bit more uh, not so dramatic. I was meeting with ministry leaders all throughout the city of Berlin um, with the Free Church. We're part of the Evangelical Free Church group of churches. I was meeting with uh, these leaders throughout the city of Berlin, and we were discussing what is it like to do ministry in an urban center, in an urban area? And how can we do it better? And what, what, what are some of the things that we can do? And uh, actually, I was with, uh, with uh, Brent's parents most of the time. Brent's dad oversees Africa. He's part of the Reach Global. And so um, we were together, and then other ministry leaders. And it was a great time, and I learned so much and hopefully contributed a little bit. And we're talking about since you know, 75% of the world's population will be living in urban centers in the next while, um, the question is, how do you reach those urban centers with the gospel? And so we were kicking around what that looks like and, and how we do that. And so um, that was a big part of the discussion. And one of the things that we're talking about is uh, also looking at San Francisco, the Bay Area, as one of these urban centers that the denomination focuses on uh, as a place where we can really learn how um, to reach, uh, reach the, the urban community. And so that's, that's kind of why I was there to be a part of that conversation. So that was, that was really exciting. Uh, from there, I went from Berlin to Kigali, Rwanda. Now, let me just tell you, words cannot express the culture shock that happens when you go from Berlin, Germany, to Kigali, Rwanda, uh, a totally different place. Um, got off the plane and, and knew I was in a different place and uh, was there to do a couple of things. Uh, didn't know everything I was going to do uh, while I was there. Um, saw a list of, of some of it. Uh, and uh, the first thing was a conference for the Evangelical Free Church of Rwanda. So all the pastors gathered together. Uh, there were about 50 of them. Uh, who are ministering throughout Rwanda, and we had a conference, and, and so there were two teachers for that. I was one of the teachers for that, and so we spent three days um, going through Second Timothy and talking about raising up leaders. That was the theme of the particular conference, and uh, it was an amazing time. I mean, some of these guys walked two days to be at this conference, and, and they don't have the kind of uh, resources that we have 
um, just linguistically. They also uh, haven't had the training that we've had, and yet they're, all, they're very wise, you know, godly men. And so it was a beautiful time of just sharing and learning together and having conversations and really enjoyed that. And then afterwards, we went out to another part of Rwanda. Uh, Gitarama was the name of the city. And in the outskirts of that, in this village, very rural kind of area, we were to plant a church. And it was funny because on the, on the schedule it said, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, plant church. So I figured that's what we were going to do on those three days. And that's what we did. There were nine of us uh, Americans, and there were nine of the pastors from the conference. We all went out together, and we formed teams, and we went out into the villages and met with people and got to know them and shared the gospel and, and then uh, gathered them together. And then one of those pastors was going to be staying there and moving his whole family there to live there and continue to, to minister through this church. In fact, in the beginning, they were going to have two pastors stay there. So it was just a wonderful sort of team effort. You know, gone are those days where the Americans sort of plop in and just say, hey, here's the gospel, and then they're gone, right? Uh, this was more like a team effort. And we were, I felt like we were, we were mutually encouraging one another and learning from one another. So we'd go to one house and, and maybe the Rwandan pastor would lead the discussion and share the gospel. And at the next house, you know, the American would, would lead it. And we were just sort of working together. And it was fascinating to see and how we learned from one another and sort of discipled one another. It was really a beautiful uh, mutual learning kind of thing. Now, some other things that, are, that, that uh, the, the, the uh, team is involved with there in Rwanda, uh, one... Uh, uh, organization called Rwanda for Justice, where they're seeking to um, bring uh, prosecution to, uh, to sex offenders, uh, especially of minors. And so this is a new organization that's been started. And um, in their first year, I guess they had 600 cases that were brought uh, or at least dealt with. And so they're also providing counseling for these young, mostly young girls um, who have been abused. And so that's a tremendous need there. As you can imagine, sometimes you know, that kind of uh, prosecution gets uh, swept to the side. And so it's great to have that there. And then uh, right now, the team that I, that I was with is still there, um, and they're working at a vocational school, which is training people up uh, to, be, to be able to find jobs and stuff. And so also, um, it, it sounds like just was reading on the, on the Facebook page, some great things happened um, over the last days. So um, like I said, just the team learning from one another was great. The African pastors and the friendships that were built there, really wonderful. And uh, actually, I'm going to have Elena. Would you stand up? Um, so Elena was here because uh, the team leader is her husband, Gary. And so they've... they've uh... So Elena is somebody that you can talk to um, about about this a little bit more. Um, they've had a relationship now going for, for seven years. And the way I got connected with this is most of this team is from Valley Church, which if you remember, you've heard the name Raleigh. Raleigh's come and preached here a couple of times. Raleigh was my coach as we planted the church. This has been a ministry that they've been doing there in Rwanda for years. And so they invited me to come along as one of the teachers and then to participate in the church planting and such. So um, there are so many stories I can't even uh, begin to, to share them all, but I'll just give you sort of a picture of one. Um, you know, first of all, the conference, we had wonderful things happening. Um, but then uh, when we were out planting the church, um, we had one service on the hill, uh, and, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful time. People just sort of, it's, it's a different kind of environment, right? If you stand on the hill and just worship, people walking by will just start to gather and sort of say, what is this about? You know, they're not like slaves to the calendar and the schedule. So they'll stop and just say, what's this about? So this big group started to gather. And um, at the end of this worship service, 
uh, the gospel had gone out and people were invited to respond to the gospel. And I think we have a picture. If you go to the next one, oh, this is, this is the conference. Those are, those are the pastors that we were working with. And then go to the next slide. So these are the adults who responded to the gospel at the end of that service um, who wanted to come to faith and be a part of the church. And the man standing up there is the pastor who's moving his seven kids to this little village and his wife, uh, and they're going to be pastoring the church here. And so already you had this group of people gathering, uh, and there, was a lot, there were a lot more who um, were also interested in the church. So that was a beautiful thing. Oh, and then the next slide. These were the kids who responded. Now, it's hard to say, right, um, what's going on there. And, and it's real messy. The whole thing's kind of messy. But um, it was just beautiful to see, to see that happening and to be a part of that and just to feel the, 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 the real movement of the Holy Spirit in the midst of it all. So um, that was a huge praise. praise. Um, I'm thinking about how to give you sort of more detailed, uh, you know, storylines here, what happened, all the things that went on. Um, and so I'm going to be thinking about it. I was talking to some people with some good ideas. Maybe we'll have a night or maybe we'll just post it uh, on Facebook or something like this. Um, but we want to get more of the kind of the, the stories out. And then I also wanted to uh, also just plant the seed that if we continue, I'm praying about, and, and I think we should be praying as a church, whether there's, there's more for us to do uh, in this ministry and whether we want to even take a team of people to go another time and, and continue the ministry. There's a lot of work to be done there. And there's, like I say, I, I was a little worried about just kind of going there as the Americans and, and you know, somehow you like have it figured out and so you're going to show them how things are supposed to be done like I didn't want to be a part of anything like that but what I really determined partway through is what we're really doing is these are just brothers and sisters in Christ and we're going to visit them and then together we're figuring out some ministry to do and we're doing that ministry together and some of those pastors have come to the U.S. as well and spoken to churches here. And so it's just, it's just the, the brothers and sisters of Christ visiting one another for mutual encouragement and ministry together. And it's a very beautiful thing. So uh, be praying about that and what's next on, on that, whole, that whole deal. In fact, let's just pray right now. I want to pray for uh, those who are still ministering there. God, we lift up to you uh, the team that's still there and the work that they're doing even right now, uh, ministering uh, up in, in the northern part there of Rwanda, and ask that you would protect them, uh, a little bit of a dangerous area in some respects, and I pray that you would also uh, continue to uh, enable them to bear fruit uh, um, by your Spirit as you lead them and guide them. Thank you for the people who came to faith while we were there, and I pray that those decisions would be um, rooted deeply and be lasting. Thank you for the training that went on at the conference. Lord, thank you for all the lessons that um, you filled my head with, and I pray that those would seep out into our community as well, those good things that uh, were encouraging. And I, and I just pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would continue this great work that you've done um, for your glory. Uh, would you continue to build your church here in this place and, and there in Berlin and then also in, in Rwanda, throughout Rwanda, as this group of pastors continues to plant churches in that place. And we'll give you the glory. You are so good, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17. And that's going to be on page 749 in the Bible that we hand out. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll give one to you. Page 749. Um, love for you to keep that Bible. If you don't have one, take it home with you. I want you to have that on your shelf so you can refer to it as you need to. Luke 17. We're going to be looking in verse 20. Um, now, this text that we're looking at is really about the importance of having accurate perception, of seeing clearly, the importance of having accurate perception. 
Um, we sort of inhabit two worlds. Those of us who would align ourselves with Christianity, we inhabit two worlds. We inhabit the world that we, in which our feet are planted, but to some extent our heads and our hearts are planted in a different world. We're living in uh, the world, the, the kingdom of God. We're, we're, we're trying to keep our heads and our hearts planted in the kingdom and, and walk through this world. And, and so we're, we're sort of like dealing with this culture shock all the time as we toggle back and forth between these, these two different worlds. And it's really important, if we're going to do that well, for us to have a clarity, a clear perception of the kingdom of God and what it's like and how it's building and at work around us while we still sort of look out and see so much normalcy and things that are just sort of the same. Can we see through that to see the work of God underneath it and the kingdom of God at work? Um, really important that we have clear perception. and We understand the, the differences between the two. Um, I'll tell you, driving in Rwanda was quite an experience. Uh, I, I, I don't know that a roller, coaster, ro- roller coaster will ever be fun for me anymore um, after spending time driving around Rwanda. It was just amazing. And one of the things that they did, though, I, I, never, I couldn't make sense out of it at first, is you'd be driving on these mountain roads, and you're just driving along, and all of a sudden, the driver would put on a left turn signal, and you'd stay in the same lane. You wouldn't pass or anything like that. And you'd be driving along a little bit longer, and they'd put on a right turn signal. Stay in the same lane, nothing would happen. And you're just, you don't understand the culture, and you're wondering, what, what's going on here? Well, it turns out, well, what they're doing essentially is signaling to the car behind them whether or not it's okay to pass. But when you didn't know that, you know, you're just wondering, how random is that? Just to throw your signal on in the middle of driving down a road where there's no place to turn, you're not passing or anything like that. You don't understand the differences between the culture, and so it causes confusion. And we've got a little bit of that going on uh, in our lives, those of us who, who really feel like we're Christians and we're following Jesus, because we've got these two things that are meshing together, and we don't always understand how they mesh together, how we can be part of this world, and then how we can also be uh, living in the kingdom at the same time. And so this passage that we're going to look at today helps us to, to, to work on this, this, this perceiving the kingdom so that we can move through this world perhaps with a little bit more uh, intentionality and maybe a little bit more fruit-bearing um, as, we, as we go about our lives here. So uh, Luke 17, starting in verse 20. Verse 20. Now Jesus is... Uh, talking to a number of different groups here, and he's going to speak to the Pharisees first and then to the disciples. First of all, verse 20 says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. So there's a, there's a measure of the kingdom of God that's, that's unobservable in the normal way of observing things. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of of you. The Pharisees want to know, okay, how's God working in the world? Because they're the religious leaders, and for them to know how God's working in the world is very important, so they can get on board and be a part of what he's doing. Uh, And so they asked Jesus, how is God working in the world? Where is the kingdom of God manifesting itself in the world? They want to know, but they're looking for the wrong kind of signs. They don't know what to look for. They're not experts in understanding the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I'm here It's in the midst of you. The kingdom is in the midst of you. Here I am. I'm the king. I'm standing right in front of you. And this is how the kingdom is coming into the world. But they don't clue in with that completely. So then a conversation with the disciples ensues, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see 
one of the days of the Son of Man. Now that's, that's a reference to the, to the manifestation of the kingdom of God, the Son of Man coming on the cloud in, in Daniel and elsewhere is this wonderful, glorious thing. Um, and, and, and he goes on to say, and you will not see it. So there's this longing. Can't you relate to that? Don't you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to see the kingdom manifest in your midst. You want your hunger for that. And yet you don't know what to look for and you don't know what the signs of it are. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. Verse 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. I was was, was reading this passage on the airplane flying on the way to Kigali. I'm reading this passage, and I look out the window, and there's this magnificent lightning storm in the clouds. I literally look up from it. I look out the window, and there's just lightning everywhere. And I'll tell you one thing about that kind of lightning is you can't miss it. You can't miss it. It's not sort of questionable. Oh, nobody says, oh, there might be some lightning going on, right? When there's lightning, you know. It's, it's clear and obvious. And that's the point that Jesus is making. When he returns, it will be obvious. There'll be no wondering. It will be very clear. Now just hold on to that. Verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Again, sort of the hiddenness of the kingdom at this time. Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Those of you remember the story of Lot leaving and they weren't supposed to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's wife turned around and looked. She disobeyed and turned around and looked and she became pillar of salt and that was it. Um, So it's a disobedience thing. So don't be caught in that, he says. Verse 33, and then sort of pressing this deeper. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. That's what it means to be ready, okay? It's to be somebody who's willing to lose their life, to have that sort of life-losing mentality. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Sort of happy ending on that one. Now, um, people wonder, well, what is this taken part? And, and some people would you know, bring in the whole, some of you may not know about this, but the whole left behind books and all of that, you know, and would look at this kind of verse. And, and I just want to kind of pull back from that a little bit and say, what we know about this text in that part of 
of the being taken and the, and the not being taken. What we can say is that some will be delivered and for others there will be destruction. And that it's, it's sobering, in a sense, the kind of destruction. Um, one kingdom will be victorious. There's two kind of going. One will be victorious and one not so much. And the question then, the sobering question that this text raises is, with which kingdom will you be aligned? Okay? And that's a question that it's intended that we would ask for ourselves. What's my alignment? And that then we would, we would communicate that to others as well. Uh, where will you be aligned? Will you align with, with which kingdom? Because there will come a day when like lightning flashing through the sky, the difference between the two kingdoms will become very visible. And you will want to be aligned with the proper one. Now, when I was in Berlin, I started reading the, the biography by uh, uh, Eric Metaxas on Bonhoeffer, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, a man living uh, in the, day, the, Nazi, the time of the Nazis, a Christian. And what was really fascinating about reading this book is, you know, we sort of hear about that in, in, as if it was all one event, but it went on for years and years, and it was a very gradual kind of process, um, at least more so than you might expect. And so you've got people who are looking at Hitler and watching what he's doing, and they don't really see that there's something horrible. There's a horrible kingdom developing in the midst of them, right? And it catches them by surprise. And the thing about Bonhoeffer is he had this incredible perception. He could see it right from the beginning, very early on. And he was trying to, to raise the clarion call to say, look, look what's happening. See the difference between what, what they're saying and the way the world is supposed to be. And people would want to give Hitler, well, no, just give him a little bit more time. Come on, you know, we'll just see what happens. I don't think it's quite going that way. And so it was about perception. And the reason we still talk about Bonhoeffer today is because he had incredible clarity of perception. He could see what was really going on when the people around could not see it. And there's a sense in which this text, this passage is like that. It's calling us to be a people of perception, to see the kingdom of God as growing up in our midst and to latch onto it and to live in and through it and out of it. So how do you do that? Well, the Pharisees were kind of clueless, right? They, they didn't see it. They were always missing the boat. And then Jesus has his conversations with the disciples wanting them to understand. And, and I think what the text is saying to us is we need to learn to see the kingdom so that we can be ready to lead, into, lead others into it. And so let me ask you this question. Why should you become then an expert in the kingdom? And, and the, the text answers this question in a number of ways. Why should you become an expert in the kingdom? Just like Bonhoeffer was an expert in understanding what was really going on underneath the surface in Germany during the days of the Nazis. Why should you become an expert in the kingdom of God. People live normal lives, um, not realizing that there's something spectacular going on in the world underneath, right? Just like in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, we get up, we go to work, we eat, we come home, we hang out with the people we love, we go to bed, we get up, and it just seems like this sort of normalcy, right? And we forget the big picture, that underneath all of that, toing and froing and moving about, there is something spectacular going on in the world. That God is in the process of redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. He's bringing His kingdom into the world through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the King, and He's bringing His kingdom. We forget 
that there's something spectacular going on in the midst of just our normalcy and our toing and froing and our going to the grocery store and this and that. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, you need to become experts in the kingdom. What is the kingdom like? What is the culture of the kingdom so that you can spy it underneath it all? You're experts in American culture. You know what it's like to be an American. Become an expert in the kingdom of God culture. And why would you want to do this? Because you will be more effective. You will be blessed. And you will honor God. First of all, if you become an expert in the kingdom, you will enter into peace. A peace like you haven't known before. Now, following Jesus makes you kind of an oddball, doesn't it, in the world? Have you experienced that yet? That, that when you follow Jesus and there's a conversation going on at work and you say something that just comes out of left field but really is deeply rooted in what you believe, you feel like an oddball, right? Or you, you do things differently. You spend your Sundays differently than other people. Um, you, you know, you just do things differently. You're kind of an oddball. And this text is saying that's normal because the, you're living according to the kingdom of God, but it's not observable to the world. The kingdom of God is not easily observed to the world. You're operating in a realm that is unobservable to some extent. So just relax. You're going to be different. You're going to be odd. And don't be surprised by it. Settle into a peace about it. But know this, there will come a day when lightning will strike. There'll come a day when lightning will strike and you will be vindicated for your oddness. Right? The strange way in which you live your life will suddenly become incredibly reasonable and desirable when lightning strikes. When it comes apparent that you've been living according to a different set of rules and regulations, uh, uh, aligning yourself to a different kingdom, it will suddenly become clear that what's happened. And by the way, Jesus followed this path too. Do you see that in verse 25? Do not... So go back a verse. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So it's going to be this beautiful, radical transformation when all of a sudden it's going to be clear, the kingdom of God. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. That's the path Jesus was on. He was odd. What he did did not make sense to the world at first. But there will come a day when with tremendous clarity, the Bible says every knee will bow. Because what Jesus has done will be seen for what it really is. And I want to encourage you that what you're doing and how you're living and your, the oddness about you, one day will be vindicated. And people will see how you've been living and why you've been living that way. And so don't worry about it anymore. Be at peace with your strangeness in the world. Relax. So, you should become an expert because it will give you peace. You should become an expert because it will give you purpose. Look at the vanity in, in Noah's day and in Lot's day. What they're, just, they're people eating and drinking and marrying and just going on and on back and forth, and there's no purpose to it. It's just like over and over again, nothing's ever changing. There's no, there's no fundamental underlying reason for it. And isn't that true in our day as well? You feel that way sometimes? You get up in the morning, you go through the same routine, and you just wonder, is this making any difference at all in the world? Why am I doing this? 
really interesting to be in Africa in this rural area where, you know, 70% of what we have is not there, including the clocks and the schedules and the I have to do thises and the phone texting and Facebook and all this stuff. And you just wonder, a couple times I just found myself wondering, why do we do all that? Walking around, talking to people, having these great conversations. It's kind of relaxed. Nobody's looking at their clock saying, um, I got to get out of here because I got to go do something. You know, it's just, what, does it serve any purpose? Now, I know it's more complicated than that. I'm just sort of, you know, uh, letting my first impressions flow there. But, but still, there's something, there's something about the vanity of the life that we've constructed and the purposelessness of it. What is it? What does it matter? But suddenly, when you connect that there's a kingdom arising in the midst of this world that is the kingdom of God, and you connect into that and you see it, now suddenly there's purpose. Because what you do in this life, what you do in this world, will affect you, but your eternity, but it will also affect others and their eternity. And that matters. Affecting the eternity of other people matters. And there's purpose. And it's not just the same thing over and over again. It's not vanity. It really matters. And, and we have the opportunity to embrace a whole new purpose to our lives as we come to become experts in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. One of the members on our team is named Joe. And Joe is captain of the Fairfield Police. Um, he oversees 120 police officers uh, in, in Fairfield and um, seems to have a pretty busy life already, right? He goes to work and has a lot to deal with. Um, but when you get to know Joe, Joe was the other teacher there at the pastor's conference, you realize that it's not just about going to work for him and overseeing the other police officers and dealing with the problems and then coming home and going to sleep and doing the same thing over and over again day after day. There's something underneath it that, that motivates and energizes his life. Because he sees in the line of his work opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of others. And he was filled. We had a lot of time, you know, sitting on plane together, hanging out together, sitting in the car, driving together. He's filled with stories of how, how God is using his opportunities as a police officer and a captain to bring blessing to people. And, and not only that, you know, he takes all of his vacation time and goes to Rwanda so that he can teach these pastors and be a part of their lives. And they come to his house and in, in, in Vacaville and, and prays for them. And there's this, there's this beautiful purpose to his life that wouldn't otherwise be there. And that's what becoming an expert in the kingdom leads to. A whole new purpose in life. We might do the same things on the surface, same activities, the same job, but there's a whole new underlying purpose to it and a significance to it. And part of the reason that Joe can do that is the third one, is that he has uh, the, the perceptiveness to be able to see what God is doing so that he can participate. So, 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 so first of all, uh, there's the peace that comes with becoming an expert in the kingdom. There's a sense of purpose that comes with it. And then lastly, there's a participation in what God is doing that comes when we become experts in the kingdom. When we recognize when God is on the move. See, this is the problem with the Pharisees. They couldn't see it, right? 
I couldn't see what God was doing. God did something very tricky. He did something different than what they thought. He, he, he came in the flesh. And he looked like a normal human being. And he was a normal human being. And he walked the earth. And he had dirty feet. And he was in the mess of life. And he probably smelled sometimes. And he just didn't look like God at that moment. And so the Pharisees said, "Uh uh-uh, that can't be it. Let me look for something more grand and spectacular. God, what are you doing? And God's standing there saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. But they didn't have the perception to see and then to be able to participate in what God was doing. They were always out of step, one step behind. One of the things when we would go out uh, in Africa and, and, and in Rwanda and, and visit the homes, what absolutely amazed me is that here we were partnered with African pastors, Rwandan pastors. We really didn't know well at all. And we would go out in these teams, and what was amazing to me is how we functioned together like a team. Who are these people? I mean, they've grown up in totally different cultures, don't know them hardly at all, and here we are from a different culture, we're mixed together, we go out to share the gospel, and it was like, it was like a basketball team that had been playing together for years and years and years, and they could anticipate the next move. Why was that? Well, I think it was because there were, there were years of training in participating with God in the movement of the gospel. And when you do that, you start to see where God is moving and to anticipate and to help one another. And it was an absolutely beautiful thing. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget what it was like to be working alongside together. Because we both had our heads in the kingdom to some degree. And so we were in the same place, even though geographically we were so far away. See that? That's what the gospel That's what the gospel does. So why you should become an expert? Because um, it'll bring you peace. It'll bring you purpose. And it will enable you to participate in the work of God. And there is nothing better in this world than to participate in the work of God. And by that, I don't at all mean become a pastor or a missionary or anything like that. I mean where you are in the life that God has given you in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, to participate in the work of God. There is nothing better. I've said this millions of times. I've jumped out of an airplane Uh, And it was fun, but it doesn't compare to those moments when I've prayed with somebody to receive Christ and and, and change their whole eternity. There is nothing better than to participate with God in his work in this world. And we get to do that. And becoming an expert in the kingdom helps us. Now, how do you do it? Okay, hopefully I've convinced you. The text has convinced you. Yeah, I I want that. I want to have that perception. I want to see. I want to participate. I want to have that peace when I'm different. I want a deeper purpose to my life. I don't want this vain American life that just doesn't mean anything. So hopefully you see that, you want that. How do you get it? And the text tells us exactly how to do that. And, and, and let me just warn you, um, some of the ways that you, you become an expert in the kingdom are a little bit more indirect than you might expect, right? We want, we, Americans, we, well, let's go take a class on becoming an expert in the kingdom, right? And then I'll get a certificate, um, and I'll put it on my wall, and I'll be an expert in the kingdom, right? And the process is a little different than that, according to the text. And some of these are indirect. So the first one is to see Christ, verse 21. 
Nor will they say, look here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's Jesus. He's referring to himself. I'm standing here in the midst of you. I'm here. Look at me. They didn't recognize it, but Jesus was there. And I want to remind us that Jesus is not just like a good luck charm in the community, right? We don't just sprinkle Jesusness over us uh, and say, okay, we're good. When Jesus comes into the community, he transforms the community. In fact, we're called the body of Christ. We, we're the body of Christ. And so we inhabit his values. And when we inhabit his values, then we get to see Jesus in the midst of us. When, we get to, when, when the Sermon on the Mount is being lived out in the community, in your family and in your home group, and when we gather together on Sunday, when the Sermon on the Mount is being lived out, you see Jesus, the body of Christ. And you become an expert in the kingdom. So one of the things that really struck me over this last while, and, and I want to bring this home better, I need to do a better job of this, um, is how critical it is to open the word together as the community, wherever you are. If you have close friends and you relate together, open the word together and let that shape your relationship. If you're in a family, uh, open the word two times a day, not just one, two times a day, and let it shape your relationship before you go to bed and when you get up in the morning. Um, so important, our team gathered each morning. We would have sometimes, because we we're in Africa time, we'd have like an hour, hour and a half to just sit there and talk about the scripture. And that would shape the community. And then we would go out and serve. And it was transformational. And I just want to remind us of the importance of bringing Jesus to the center of our community. Whether that be in your home group or, or the family or your devotionals. The second one, let brokenness fuel your vision. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You're just going to look at the world around you and it's going to be so messed up. You're going to say, Jesus, where are you? Come on, make yourself visible because it's a wreck. My life is a wreck. The people's lives around me are a wreck. My work is a wreck. Everything's a wreck. Would you please make yourself visible? You're going to have that deep longing inside of you. And what the text is telling us is to take that longing and let it point us to a grander vision of the kingdom so that we can bring that into the midst of where we are. One of the things that killed me being in Rwanda was to see how disabled people were, were treated. And this is apparently throughout Africa is the case. There's incredibly poor treatment. And I, I can't even tell the story right now because I have to connect in emotionally with it. And it just, I think it, I'll probably bring it out at some point, but just broke my heart and, and probably shaped me in a way that will continue forward. But to see the wrongness of the way that disabled people were treated in the instances that I saw made me cry out for something different. And this is one of the ways that we fuel our vision for the kingdom. When you see something that's broken or when you see something that's wrong, let it cause you to cry out for something different. The kingdom. And ask yourself, well, what, how should it be? And the answer is, well, if Jesus were here uh, uh, establishing his kingdom, it would look like this. And then you have a vision, and then you can work towards it. So becoming an expert in the kingdom is letting your, the brokenness in your heart drive you to a deeper sense of how things are supposed to be in Jesus' economy and in his world. Keep a sense of the enchantment of life. Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. If you want to become an expert in the kingdom, don't get caught up in just sort of the normalcy of life. I'm going here and I'm doing this and none of it really matters. There's something spectacular going on underneath it all. And keep that in the forefront of your mind. There's something enchanting going on that God is moving in the world to bring about a total transformation of it and a redemption. 
And that's happening right now. And, and don't just look at the world in a materialistic kind of way. There's something gloriously spiritual going on below the normalcy of it. Obey God. You want to become an expert in the kingdom? Obey God. Verse 32 and 33. Remember Lot's wife. Well, she didn't. And then verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Disobedience kills perception. Let me say that again. Disobedience kills our perception of the kingdom. Because we have this need to justify our disobedience. And so, to justify it, we have to change the kingdom and make it fit our disobedience. Obedience opens up a whole pathway for vision towards the kingdom. Because now we're letting God define His kingdom in our lives. And so, this is one of the themes that came out in Berlin and then again um, in, in, in Rwanda, that when we go about ministry, strategies are, are good, they're important, but what's more valuable is obedience to God. Because God can use our obedience in ways that we can't predict. We're, we're, when we obey, we're relinquishing control and letting God be in control. And that's absolutely critical to our movement as a church and as individuals. And, and, and people are say, saying, some people are saying, and I, I kind of, I think this term, obedience, needs to come back in vogue in the church. We've talked about a lot of going and making disciples, and then the Great Commission says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we've talked a lot about the first two, going and making, but we need to talk more about obey. Obey. If the church would just obey, the world would be turned upside down. Obedience is a way to get, become an expert in the kingdom. On one of the days when we were, we had one rest day on last Thursday, we had a rest day. And so we were up in the northern part of Rwanda and we had an opportunity to go and do some hiking. And that's the area where you may have heard the, the gorillas are um, up there. And so you can go, uh, was it Diane Fawcett or something? Yeah, and so the gorillas in the mist or whatever, that's right. I stayed in that same hotel there. Uh, and, and so... Um, you go do that, um, but you have to make reservations a year in advance or something. So, um, but then you go see the golden monkeys. And so uh, we went to go see the golden monkeys, and we were hiking on this volcano, um, kind of jungly kind of area. And we're hiking with this group, and they had sent scouts ahead to go and try and find the monkeys. And then they would radio back to our group and say, well, they're over here, so you might want to hike over here. So we go hiking. And say, oh, no, they're moving, so come on over here, you know, scouts. And, and so you go, and we found the monkeys. I think I have a picture of the monkeys, right? There, there's one of the golden monkeys. Pretty cool. We found the monkeys. Um, didn't turn out. So because we found them because the scouts were up ahead. And as I was thinking about this text and what a Christian is, a Christian's kind of like a scout, an advanced party in another world on a search, Right? But it's not just so that that person could be there. It's so they can radio back and call others to join them in the kingdom of God. That's what a Christian does. That's why we're here. That's our purpose. To radio back and to call other people into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And you come into that kingdom when you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But that's our job. And so I want to encourage us 
as we take communion today, can we re be recommissioned out of this text to be the advanced scouts of the kingdom of God and to be calling back to others that they might come and find peace in Jesus Christ and everlasting life. And that the whole thing about the vultures and the separation and, and all that would not be their lot. That when God reveals His kingdom with lightning clarity, that we would be aligned with that kingdom and salvation would come fully to our home. So as we come forward today and we take communion, I want to ask you, uh, if you're a, a believer in Jesus Christ, would you recommission yourself to living with your head and your heart in the kingdom and to calling out to others to bring them in? And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, um, first of all, we're so glad that you're here. We want you to be here as much as you can be and want to be. Um, we welcome you. And we want to also give you space to consider aligning yourself with Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And the Bible says that the way you do that is through faith, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, I believe what you did on the cross was for the salvation of, my, of me, the forgiveness of my sins, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I, I believe that you are God in the flesh and that you know how to live, and I want to follow you. That's, that's what faith sets its sight on. And so if you're at that point today, we encourage you to make that step of faith and place your trust in Jesus Christ.